Hello and welcome to Hosanna. I'm Pastor Jen Alexander and please hear me say, we believe the Lord led you here to help you grow in faith and look a little more like Jesus. After today's message, we encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan Alexander. So good to be with you at all of our campuses and all of you who are joining us live or later online. Isn't it inspiring to hear the stories of what God is doing at and through Hosanna? It is inspiring. And here's the thing. God is using your engagement, using your prayers, your serving, your giving to make it possible. So be encouraged by that. You are multiplying the hope and heartbeat of Jesus, church. Way to go. Way to go. Well, we've entered into the season of of Lent. Lent is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, not counting Sundays because you need some days to cheat if you're fasting from something, right? It's optional. You don't have to cheat, but they're available to you. And every year at Hosanna and during Lent, it's been a significant time spiritually, Uh, a deeply transformational time, a time of renewal. And if Ash Wednesday this past week is any indication of what this year is going to be like, look out. We had a powerful time of worship and communion and the marking of ashes. And we heard a powerful message from Pastor Peter and Sherry Ide. They shared out of uh, Peter's current cancer journey and shared their faith and their wisdom and insights into how to walk all of our lives out in greater faith. And so if you haven't heard that, check it out. Um, And that's the start. And then we're gonna finish Lent on Easter, of course, Good Friday into Easter. And this year we have Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge joining us again for Easter. And they're gonna be helping to lead us in worship. They're going to be uh, sharing their stories, their resurrection stories. You won't wanna miss that. And I I want you to be praying about listening to God as he shares with you people that he wants you to invite into that Easter experience, into the hope and joy of the the resurrection. Uh, uh, Speaking of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, I sent an email out to uh, the congregation this past week and shared some updates, Feed My Starving Children update and some Lent updates, but also an update on Pastor Pear. Uh, It's with mixed emotions that I, I share with you that starting in April, Pastor Pear is going to be stepping into a leadership role at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. Yeah. Many of you know Pastor Pear's story. Recovery is a huge theme and an area of passion and giftedness for him. And he's always wondered if that might come full circle in his life. He wasn't looking for it, but God was looking for him. And we believe that God is going to use Pear and Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge to reach thousands of people who are waiting to know the hope and heartbeat of Jesus. And so we are very thrilled. Now, good news, good news, Pastor Pear is still going to be part of our preaching team which is very good news because uh, if you were here last weekend, you heard a powerful message. So we're in this year of good news, and we just finished our first series on the good news, a more complete version of the good news. Sometimes the good news or gospel message gets truncated or gets presented in an incomplete way. And we looked at this multifaceted diamond, complete version of the good news, the multiple facets of the good news, like you're created good, Good news, everybody's broken. Good news, there's a perfect solution for that. Good news, there's victorious hope. Good news, God has given you transforming purpose for your life. And good news, we've been given eternal life. 
We're gonna leave those up there for a second because I just want you to write them down wherever you're taking notes. Maybe you still have your good news journal because we are going to keep coming back to those themes. They're really the framework for the rest of our year. We're gonna be doing deeper dives into each of these themes, including during Lent. This Lent, we are going to do a deeper dive into the center of the center. The center of the, the good news message. The very center of the center. And at the center of the good news is an old wooden cross. At first glance, the cross doesn't appear brilliant or beautiful or wonderful or, or even powerful. But as we go deeper into the meaning of the cross and the message of the cross, we find that it's the perfect solution. It's at the center, not only of that facet of the good news, the perfect solution, it's at the center of all the facets. It's at the center of all of it. And so if we think Lent has been a powerful time historically for Hosanna, imagine where we're going to be after six weeks of focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going. And when we think of the cross as Christians, the first kind of message or meaning that we, that we usually come to for the cross is this, that the cross is about personal salvation for the next life. That it's really more about the next life and escaping this life to get into the next life and it's a personal experience. That's how we tend to think about even maybe a, a personal get out of jail free card. Right? And, and hear me, the cross is about that. It is about personal salvation for the next life. But it's not just about that. In fact, I think we've gotten a little too imbalanced in that, in that direction, in the direction of that message or meaning of the cross. Because the cross is also about this, just as much and in some ways more about this. The cross is about a global revolution in this life. The cross represents a global revolution in this life that changes a revolution that ignites a, a, an outpouring of transformation. That's what a revolution does. It changes everything. A revolution changes everything, and that's how much power the cross possesses. Paul points to this power in the message and meaning of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1, 17. We've been following the journey of Paul and his kind of going deeper and deeper into what the, the gospel or the good news meant for his life. And he says this, that his purpose, he's here to preach the good news and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. This was a consistent theme for Paul, that people would get more caught up in the charismatic presence of the the presenter or the presentation of the gospel or the good news instead of the message itself. This is good caution for us today. We, in our celebritized culture, we tend to look at you know, people or ways that things are presented, but Paul says, don't do that because that's not where the power is. In fact, whatever change, transformation re that results from a powerful presentation or a powerful speaker or figure is temporary. Only the message of the cross has the power to change everything in our world, in our lives. 
And not just personal salvation for the next life, but to ignite and fuel and achieve a global revolution that changes, changes everything in this life. Because that's what happens with revolutions, right? Revolutions change everything. They, they start with a group of people that are in power, that control the resources and control the ideas, and then someone comes up from underneath that or a group of people comes up from underneath that. And then the power and the resources and the ideas change hands. They're transferred to another group of people. That's how revolutions play out. There's usually some force, even violent force, that's used to make those revolutions happen. And the revolution of the cross is actually not unlike that in some ways. It follows a similar pattern. There's even some force, some violence. The violence isn't expressed in the same way that every other revolution expresses violence. But there is some violence. Here's the difference between the revolution of the cross and every other revolution. The revolution of the cross ends the endless cycle. It ends the endless cycle of conflict and violence and, and blame and pointing the finger. It ends the endless cycle. The revolution of the cross ends the revolutions of this world, it's the war to end all wars. We've heard this before, haven't we? World War I was the war to end all wars, did it? 20 years later, World War II. And then at the end of World War II, there was a secret plan, a secret weapon. The atomic bomb, popularized by the movie Oppenheimer, some of you have seen. Although, heads up, I would not watch this movie with your kids sitting next to you on a plane because there are some racy scenes. That happened to us, all right? Just heads up. But a secret weapon, a secret plan to develop the atomic bomb. And it was thought that dropping two of these bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, even though it would lead to the, the death of around 200,000 Japanese, was a necessary evil because it would end all wars. Did it? Cold War, Korea, Vietnam, I could go on and on and on. Violence, revolution, war only perpetuates the cycle it leads to more war. It leads to more violence. And we understand how that plays out in a broken world. And sometimes, unfortunately, it does play out in ways that it has to. But, but when it comes to the revolution of the cross, it puts an end to the endless cycle. It makes it possible for this endless cycle of, of violence and revenge and brokenness and oppression to finally end. That's the good news. And it starts, this revolution starts where it has to start. It starts at the source. It starts at the spiritual source of all of that violence and revenge and brokenness and oppression. The forces of evil and darkness, the cross has come to destroy and initiate a revolution over. And God also has a secret plan for this revolution. Paul even refers to it in 1 Corinthians 2.1 as a secret plan, a secret weapon. And God's secret weapon isn't, isn't a bomb dropped on hundreds of thousands of people fueled by a nuclear reaction at the atomic level. God's secret weapon is fueled by something much more powerful than that, much more explosive than that even much more destructive than that. It's a destructive force that changes everything, the revolution of the cross. And so for the rest of this message, I wanna look at two questions as we walk through 
remaining verses in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter one and answer two questions. How is victory achieved in this revolution? And what does it look like to participate in this revolution? Because we're invited to participate in this revolution. 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Now, first of all, Paul doesn't say here that, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for the destruction in the next life in hell. He says they're headed for destruction. And that's implied here, the next life, there is destruction. But, but there's also in this life a cycle, a destructive cycle of violence, revenge, brokenness, and oppression. And the revolution of the cross is is about rescuing or saving people from the power of, of that destructive cycle. That the power of God, the power of the cross can rescue people from that. Notice Paul too uses plural pronouns. He, he says, those who are headed for destruction, we who are being saved. Right? Again, it's not just about, salvation isn't just about our individual personal lives. It is about that, but it's also about you know, this larger global experience a larger humanity that needs to be kind of rescued. Where did this overemphasis on personal salvation come from? Lots of sources. But it became particularly pronounced in, in America in the 17th and 18th and 19th century, especially in the South, because it was a convenient way of avoiding the, the societal injustice and oppressive kind of system of slavery. If we just focus on our personal salvation, we don't need to deal with things that are going on in the world around us because it's about the next life anyway. It was a convenient way to avoid that issue and so the overemphasis because slavery would never fit into the kingdom that comes from the revolution of the cross and the people who are part of that revolution. 1 Corinthians 1.19 says, as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Now, that whole verse almost is in quotes because it comes from the prophet Isaiah who was writing seven centuries earlier. And, but you could put really wisdom and intelligence in quotes because Paul is saying here, the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, the wisdom of the world. This revolution of the cross has come to destroy the wisdom of the world. Every revolution, one of the one of the entities that it's exchanged is ideas. Who controls the ideas? The revolution of the cross comes to destroy the ideas of the world, the way that the world has thought of power and sharing resources. Cross comes to destroy all that. It's President's Weekend, which means that once again next week, kids will not be going to school for five days, <laughs> which apparently they never do anymore. Last week, our kids went to school for five days, and they were like, oh, so exhausted. I'm like, every day growing, or every week growing up, we went to school five days a week, right? Not so anymore. But anyway, President's Weekend, we remember the presidents, particularly George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, around their birthdays. George Washington, our founding father, was tempted to continue in the position of power as President of the United States beyond two terms. But what did he do? Something that no powerful leader had ever done in recent history. 
He said, no, this is a democracy. No one person should have that much power. And he, he laid it down, even though people were calling for him to keep serving. He showed our country, the world, a new way of handling power, which was to give it up in a peaceful transition of power. Unheard of. Well, the revolution of the cross, even more so. Ideas, a new way of handling power. Verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Which between the Jews and the Gentiles in their context meant everybody is either offended or thinks it's nonsense. Why? Well, let's start with the Jews. They were offended by the message of the cross because they were waiting for a different kind of revolutionary leader. They, they were waiting for someone who was gonna come like every other revolutionary leader who had come before, who would be a conquering king, who would use his power and, to displace people violently and then oppress another group of people. The Jews were saying, hey, we've been oppressed. Now, someone come and, and, and take over so that we can kind of be in that position of power. They were waiting for a different kind of revolutionary figure. When I was in elementary school, I ordered through a magazine, kids, your parents will explain to you what a magazine is, all right? <laughs> I ordered these revolutionary war figures. And, 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 and it said that they would take four to eight weeks to deliver. Can you imagine waiting four to eight weeks for anything right now? If we have to wait more than 48 hours, we're like, no. You know, I waited four to eight weeks. They came closer to eight weeks. And on the page, they looked huge. They looked lifelike. They looked like they were going to be my best friends, you know, like my playmates. They were this big, plastic figures. Not even an inch. I was expecting some different revolutionary figures than the ones I got. The Jews were waiting for something much bigger, something much more forceful in the world's ways than what they got. They were expecting a conquering king. They got a crucified king. Make, make no mistake though, Jesus was a revolutionary. He was crucified for being revolutionary. And on either side of him were revolutionaries. But he was a different kind of revolutionary. But it offended the Jews because they were expecting something different. The Gentiles, they thought it was all nonsense. Are you kidding me? Weakness? Someone in power showing weakness? That's, that's nonsense. Someone using their power to help those who have less power? That's nonsense. Forgiving the people who are putting you to death? That's nonsense. But it's the power of the revolution of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Verse 24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. 
the bomb has gone off. The cross, the power of God, the wisdom of God defeats the forces of evil in our world, rescues people from the destruction of sin, this endless cycle of violence, revenge, oppression, and brokenness, and it starts a revolution unlike any other. It changes everything, everything. Here's how I'd sum it up. How's the victory of the cross, the victory of uh, this revolution achieved? The one with the most power gives it for those who have less and absorbs the violence he could have otherwise inflicted. That's the victory of the cross. The, the one who had the most power gave it up for those who have less power. And he absorbed the violence he could have otherwise, as the one who was most powerful, could have otherwise afflicted. That's real power. That's power. When you have all the power and you don't use it to hold others down, or to advance yourself, but you use it for others, that's real power. Make no mistake. And finally, the, the God of the universe, the one who has all the power, stepped down into human history to break this endless cycle of violence, revenge, brokenness, and oppression. It's like he threw a wrench into the, the gears of that cycle and said, enough, enough. This is gonna stop. The, the, the revolution to end the endless cycle like only he could as the one who held all the power. Finally, when it gets to him, he says, nope, I'm not gonna fight back. I'm not gonna use my power to, to keep others down. I'm gonna use my power to lift others up. And this Secret weapon, the cross, isn't fueled by a power that takes place at an atomic level. It's, it's fueled by something much greater than that, much more explosive than that, much more transformational than that. It's fueled by the supreme, self-giving, sacrificial love of God. Love is the power that ignites and fuels and achieves this revolution. An all-powerful God who says, I'm for you. I am for you. I love you. I'm with you. Nothing can separate me from your love. No greater love has anyone than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. It is the power that fuels and achieves the revolution, changes everything. The revolution of the cross is a revolution of love. So how do we participate in this revolution? I'm so glad you asked. Because Paul wants to show us, God wants to show us in his word. Verse 26, remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Paul's saying, first of all, if you want to participate in this revolution, remember, remember who you are. Remember where you've come from. You didn't initially hold the power or the resources or the ideas. But what often happens in revolutions is the, the oppressed group takes over. They control the power and the, 
you know, the resources and the ideas, and they forget they were, used to be the ones who didn't. They get corrupted by power and greed, and, and they just perpetuate the same cycle. But Paul says, don't do that. As revolutionaries of the, of the cross, remember who you are. You wouldn't be anybody without the cross, without God's grace, without his forgiveness, without his love. Don't forget that. Stay humble. Be compassionate, committed to serving others, because if not for God, you would be in a very different place. Anyone else <laughs> say amen to that? Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.27. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Powerlessness becomes power, foolishness becomes wisdom, and vice versa. If you want to be a revolutionary, here's the invitation. Reverse the cycle. Be a part of reversing the cycle. That cycle of violence and revenge and brokenness and oppression. Reverse it. Powerlessness to power. And so on. How do we do this? Go back to Pastor Pear's message last week on transforming purpose. Romans 12, love those, bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who harm you. Don't, don't conquer evil by doing evil. That just perpetuates the cycle. Overcome evil by doing good. It's the only way the cycle gets broken. It's the only way. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's the only way the cycle gets broken, in big and small ways. And may, there are lots of cycles playing out in our world today, in our personal lives, in our country, in our world. The only way the cycle gets broken is that. And the weapons of this revolution are not the same weapons of the revolutions of this world. They sound like this, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the weapons of this revolution, bringing forgiveness where there's an impulse toward revenge, bringing peace where there's violence, like we heard in the video earlier, shalom to our city, shalom. Right now, the South Metro needs some shalom. Very early still, but we heard that there were some tragic deaths of Burnsville police officers. And so hurting families, hurting community, we are called as revolutionaries to bring comfort and peace and love and hope and prayers to bring empowerment where there's oppression, to bring, to bring healing where there's brokenness. 1 Corinthians 1.28, third way we can participate. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Well, what does the world consider important? Being right, power, stuff. How do we participate in those things being made nothing. Well, don't worry so much about being right or being the one in power and also with our stuff. Instead of holding on to it and keeping it for ourselves, we begin to give it, share it. Consider what we have. Everything we have is from God, but how do we get that into other people's hands who need it even more than we do? revolutionaries reallocate their resources of time and talents and treasures and thoughts and you know lent's, lent's a time to give something up what if you gave something up one of those resources 
and reallocated it to somebody else. I'm personally thinking about using my time and my thoughts less around, I love the sports off season. I just really, really do. Because I love thinking about how teams come together, but I think about it too much. And so God wants me to think less about that and more about how to bring people together, reconciliation, to participate in reconciliation, to use my resources more that way. Maybe God's calling you to reallocate your resources. I was asking the Lord early this week, what does this look like to participate in this revolution? And he showed me a picture of an area that had been desolated, destroyed, darkness, despair. And then he showed me at the middle of that a cross, a cross that was starting to bring light and color and life to that dark space. And I asked Anna in our comm department if she could find something for me. She found this. And I just want to sit here for a moment because like any art or prophetic image like this, there are multiple layers of meaning. First of all, that the cross is God's secret weapon to destroy the forces of evil and death and darkness. The cross has come, revolutionary weapon to destroy all of that. And another layer of meaning, we live in a world that has been impacted by evil and that cycle of violence and revenge and oppression, brokenness. The cross has come to do something about that, to bring life, light, color, hope. See it? It's come, come to bring things back to what they were always intended to be in his creation. And here's the next level of meaning. We're invited to be a part of that. We're invited to participate in that as revolutionaries, to go to the cross and then walk away from the cross as ones who are bringing light and who are bringing life, who are reversing the cycle, who are reallocating our resources. That's our call. But first we have to come to the cross and know that our lives, our dark spaces, our desolate areas in our lives have been restored. Listen to this last verse in 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Before we can live as revolutionaries of the cross, we need to know that this revolution of love, God's supreme, self-giving, sacrificial love, this revolution hits us in our lives. Where we are forgiven, we are restored. We are made new. There's color in our black and white. There's new life where there's death and desolation. We have to remember that first. Come to the cross first ourselves, and that's what we do with communion. When we celebrate communion. So you received a cup on the way in. If you didn't, we've got ushers coming around to distribute those. Peel back the top layer and the bottom layer. Wafer in the juice to get ready to, to partake. We're gonna partake together during Lent as we close our services this way and, and also with the time of worship. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. 
And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you, broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And again, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he poured it out for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this and remember me. This is God's secret weapon, the cross, love, power, sacrifice poured out for you. And so we simply prepare our hearts with confession sometimes, with the Lord's Prayer sometimes, but this week we're gonna pray a prayer of repentance together. I think you'll recognize the words that are on the screen. Let's prepare our hearts by praying this prayer of repentance. God, help us to bring peace instead of violence, forgiveness instead of revenge, healing where there is brokenness, empowerment where there is oppression, light into darkness, and love over hate. Thank you for loving us, for absorbing the blow on the cross, and for using your power to reverse the cycle in our lives and our world. Now multiply your kingdom revolution through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now, this is the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Don't just hear these words, receive these words. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in his grace that you might live out the revolution of the cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said...